0: primero de Hello and welcome to the The Sandy Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Duzumay Jr. Follow me on the Elon app at The Sandy. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Podcast is also up there at The Sandy Podcast. All one word. If you're not down with the Elon app, trust me. I get it. Stuff keeps being taken away. Stuff is disappearing. Features are missing. All to get that eight bucks a month. But threads, thankfully, did not pop. Why are you trying to give Zuckerberg more info? I don't know. Spill, unfortunately, did not pop. Home team, though. Uh, so, yeah, if you're not down with the Elon app, trust me, I get it. You can follow along at the Sandy podcast on the other Zuckerberg app or the China app. Uh, the Sandy is the home for all content, audio, and visual. Subscribe and rate to the podcast, five stars and the less tell a friend. Musical production done by May 1st Music, support him at soundcloud.com slash May 1st Music. Uh, the YouTube channel is now popping. We're monetizing all that good stuff. So if you want to do super chats, super thanks, all that type of good stuff. Uh, the YouTube link is in the podcast description for you audio only folks, for you video only, on, uh, for you video only folks, You already know what the YouTube link is. It's right there in the video description. So the Denver Broncos fresh off giving up 10 touchdowns in week three against the Miami Dolphins in South Beach. Head into week four. With Sean Payton cutting off reporters in the post game with Mr. Unlimited Russell Wilson continuing to look flabby and sick. The Denver Broncos, fresh off those 10 touchdowns, giving up in South Beach, now move on to face the team of my youth in the Chicago Bears. And they are still a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Chicago Bears. Can't make this up. <laughs> can't make this up. It's all bad. It's all bad in Chicago. The Broncos 70 and they're still three and a half point favorites over the Bears. That's how bad it is for the former monsters of the midway. Now, during my, you know, NFL preview stuff and we were breaking down division by division, there was not necessarily optimism for the team winning games, but it was certainly optimism for the team looking better and building upon what we thought was an upward trajectory with Justin Fields as the quarterback. Killing, running his way looking like, you know, Steve Young, looking like Randall Cunningham, looking like Colin Kaepernick, looking like a little bit of Lamar, looking like all the guys, Vince Young, looking like all those guys. The Bears looked like they had one of those. And they did what good teams are supposed to do, and they got him some help. Now, that help came in the form of Chase Claypool, which, looking back and in real time, I talked about it, that was a really... High steep price to pay, giving up a second round pick, which turned out to be the first pick of the second round, thanks to Lovey Smith. But they give up a second round pick for Chase Claypool. On paper, you can understand the logic. Then they go out there after securing the number one pick, again, thanks to Lovey Smith. And they go and they trade and flip that number one pick to the Carolina Panthers, who are in desperate need of a QB the Bears in their front office the upper brass the upper management decided we think we got something here with Justin Fields so we're not gonna take a QB cool Panthers want to move up cool you got something that's expendable in DJ Moore so now in a span of a few months the Bears went from not having a QB to finally figuring out that they have a QB that is a dual threat weapon Now they gave him Chase Claypool, who in theory would be an upgrade. And now you go land him a true number one wide receiver in DJ Moore. Now, as I talked about on the NFC North preview, DJ Moore is not Justin Jefferson Jamar Chase number one wide receiver, but he's of that second tier level of number one wide receiver. But that's still the best receiver on the Bears roster and has been that for quite some time. So after doing all of that, and then they go out there on draft night, now at the ninth pick, they had a chance to fortify the defense. But they say, nope, you know what? Offensive line was really trash. So we're going to trade back a spot. We'll get to that later. We're going to trade back a spot and fortify the offense even more for not only Justin Fields, but this running game. And now this passing game, we're going to fortify the offensive line by taking the kid down there right out of Tennessee and starting him at right tackle with the 10th pick in the first round. So it went from 1 to 9 to 10. And to get all that, they got, obviously, a first. Obviously, D.J. Moore. And then to go from 9th to 10th, they scooped up an extra fourth rounder in next year's draft. Well let's see how that has panned out for the Chicago Bears. Go ahead and jump into the screen here. They are 0 and three now, schedule hasn't been that hard, but you can't really expect them to win games. It's not about winning games. It's about seeing the improvement with the investments that have been made. Well, let's look at the points. Well, they're 27 out of 32. That's certainly not good. How's that defense holding up? Oh, in terms of points against, they're 31st out of 32 well that certainly doesn't sound like they're good either let's keep on going let's keep on going down the hill here so in terms of league rank 29th in both yards for offense and defense 22nd in turnovers for the defense 27th for the offense what does that mean? That means they turn over the ball too much and they don't take the ball away. Okay? So the Bears, it's all bad. Absolutely, positively all bad. When you can think of any positive category, it's all bad. It's all bottom half of the league and lower from top to bottom. Again, and still, a team that just gave up a 70-burger, it's favored over them. A team with Russell Wilson is favored over the Bears right now. A team with Sean Payton, who looks like he just cashed out his deal with NBC just to come back and steal a bag from the Walmart family who runs the Broncos now. He's cashing out 20 to 25 million, depending on who you believe in. Because remember, even though players' contracts are displayed all over the internet, coaches' salaries are not required to be known publicly. So we still really don't know how much Sean Payne is getting. But we know it's up there, it's a big number. Okay? With all that being said, the Chicago Bears. Who have a front office in turmoil. Because their defensive coordinator might be the next nasty man. You didn't hear it from me. But your man's Alan Williams right here. Who is no longer the D.C. Or has been relieved of his duties. They're doing some weird legalese. And Man's is not there no more. Alan Williams is not in Hallis Hall. He's not in the building. And they're not necessarily saying why. The team didn't even really know why Allen Williams was not in the building. Now, there's been various reports. There was, you know, peanut telling with the nonsense of the FBI raid and all types of silly shit. But the fact of the matter is, Manns was doing something inappropriate in the building in that Hallis hall. And it was deemed so inappropriate that they got to get Manns about the paint. But much like Mel Tucker over at Michigan State, they kind of have to negotiate this process to get man's fully and completely up out the door. So you have a team not only that's losing on the field, but it's losing off the field. Because your D.C. is out here doing nasty man type things and the defense looks trash because the defense is, hello, running cover two again. In the year of y'all Lord, 2023, there is a defense that thinks it can predicate itself off of a base 4-3 cover two. Again, I keep saying this every time it comes up. The reason why the Tampa two work so well is because they had Hall of Famers at every level. Warren Sapp on the line. Derek Brooks in the linebacking core. Rondé Barber and John Lynch in the secondary. That's why the cover two worked. It wasn't because it was such an amazing scheme that it revolutionized football. It's because no matter what scheme you got, if I got four Hall of Famers on a defense that's four out of 11, I like my chances of that being a really good defense. But because the NFL is such a copycat league, everyone ran to copy that style. And you know what teams learn? Oh, we don't got full Hall of Famers. We don't have a Hall of Famer at every level. So you know what this cover two is Swiss cheese. And it slowly started to work its way back to just being a singular formation that you use on obvious passing downs. Believe leave it to the Bears to go ahead and try to run that whole Tampa 2 thing back because they somehow believe they got the horses to do it. You know what would have helped the horses work in this 4-3 cover-2 scheme that the Bears are stupidly trying to do? Jalen Carter. That would have worked in this system. A three technique that can get blockers off of the linebacking core Yes, and can still get home and create pressures. Yes, that's what you need if you're going to run the cover two at the three technique. And the Bears had Jalen Carter staring them in the face and decided, nope, we're just going to trade back one spot and take a average right tackle, not even left tackle. We're going to take a right tackle at the 10 spot. That's what the Chicago Bears have done here. And I know y'all are probably like, why am I going so crazy on the bear? Because this is the ineptitude that I walked away from. When I talk about fandom as a mental illness, this is what I'm talking about. Imagine still being a fan of this franchise, imagine still being a supporter of this organization. They haven't won a game in 11 months. I'll repeat that for the people in the back. The Chicago Bears have not won a game in 11 months. And they thought they had a franchise QB. They thought they had an offense that was nearing dynamic. And yet all I've seen for this offense is the most predictable. You can't get this type of production That this lack of production, even on rookie in Madden, if you gave your girl the controller in Madden, she could be more successful with the Bears on rookie than the Bears are in real life. That's how bad this is. With no knowledge of the game, your girl can perform better than the Bears are in real life with the same roster. That's how bad this is right now. They can't run. They can't throw. Their coaches can't coach. Their coaches are allegedly nasty men off the field. Their GM, who was a former offensive lineman, took the offensive lineman instead of a superior defensive lineman in the first round of a pivotal draft to be able to flip. Imagine if, this would, if the Bears would have did the right thing. Imagine you get the first pick. Cool, you're going to flip it? Dope. You're going to flip it for a number one wide receiver? Dope. And then you go and sit at nine and you still get arguably the best player in the draft? It would be equivalent to how the Golden State Warriors in basketball were thought to have revolutionized the NBA just because they had Steph Curry fall into their lap with the Timberwolves passing on him twice and so on and so forth. Bears fans would have put up a statue already in real time if Ryan Poles would have got that off. Again, salute the lovey. You get the number one pick. You flip it. You get a franchise number one wide receiver. Then you go get a franchise three technique defensive lineman that can allow you to do this archaic zone-based system that can still try to run in 2023. And then imagine if they would have kept Roquan. They got rid of Roquan Smith. They didn't want to pay him. They had people foolishly talking them into the fact, well, he's not big enough. He's not strong enough. He's not fast, to fat. He's not fast enough. He doesn't fit the scheme. You mean to tell me a middle linebacker with sideline-to-sideline side line speeds who can hit like a tank, isn't a fit for a cover two? Because that sounds like Derek Brooks to me. That sounds like Erlacher to me. But y'all had scouts tell y'all because y'all didn't want to pay him. So you look for every reasonable, every reason imaginable to not pay him. You try to find different ways to slander that man's name And not just lowball him. You offer him one of the worst contracts ever of someone of his caliber. As bad as NFL contracts are, just already. The contract that Bears offered, Roquan Smith, would have been good 20 years ago. That's how bad that contract was. So they trade Roquan Smith. Now he is absolutely all pro level in Baltimore. He's taken a step. Why? Because he has a scheme that fits his speed, size, and skill set. And they paid him. Now the Bears go out there. They spend $100 million on two linebackers who aren't even as good combined as Roquan Smith. This is what a poverty franchise looks like. The Chicago Bears. And Justin Fields, I'm not going to go too crazy on Justin Fields. I know it's, it's very much open season on Justin Fields. And while I understand why it's open season on Justin Fields, I'm not ready to go that crazy on him yet because I feel as though he's been let down. He's been let down early in his career with inept coaching and lack of talent. Now they've corrected one of those those things. They have given him enough talent, right? They they have helped him with the talent, right? By getting him DJ Moore, Chase Claypool, even though there was a viral video of him loafing for an entire game in week two. The bottom line is Claypool, Darnell Mooney, and DJ Moore, that's a good three-man group. Now, is that a top tier, top 10 three-man group? No. But it's upper half. Upper half in the league, sure. The problem is now the coaching is mid. The coaching is mid, and good man's Justin Fields had to walk it back because he was criticizing the coaching staff just last week. Now, has he regressed? I don't know because the play calling has been so rudimentary. I don't know if it's Fields or the play calling. I got the NFL Plus package. Pause, and I've been able to watch the All 22 and rewatch games and all of that. And I'm like, yo, these dudes ain't open. These dudes aren't open. And you know, from people that I know that that are close, they're telling me, look, the coaches have tried to coach him out of running. And that sounds like the most idiotic thing because you're taking the one man. The one thing this man could be elite at the one thing this man could be top tier at the one man. The one thing that this man jumped and gave a whole fan base hope for with his running ability. You're trying to take that thing away. Just because you gave him another receiver. He shouldn't run anymore. Not supposed to be a pocket QB. Who's in charge? Why would you take a guy that is a clear dual threat QB and say, well, we got you a couple of wide receivers now. So now don't run so much. That's the key. You keep giving him weapons to keep open up the field for him to decide if he wants to, you know, dink and dunk or take shots down the field or take off and run. And through three weeks, all I'm seeing is Justin Fields sitting in the pocket and waiting for someone to get open even though they're doing the QB spy. You telling me Justin Fields can't shake nobody? He shook whole teams last year. You telling me he should be conservative because oh now they 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 they're spying on him. You thought the league wasn't going to adjust? The league adjusted. Now what's the adjustment to their adjustment? Or what happened to sheer will? Justin Fields should be running 10 to 15 times a game, designed or not. And yet he keeps taking these seven nine-step dropbacks and it's open season with this trash offensive line. An offensive line that includes the guy you took at the 10th spot after passing on Jalen Carter. Ineptitude at his finest. Justin Fields, I'm holding off killing him. He has certainly not said the right things in these post-game interviews. He certainly could be taken to task for potentially regressing. My only question is, is there someone in that building who actually knows what the hell they're doing with Justin Fields on a daily basis? Is it the QB coaches? Is it the OC? Is it the organization as a whole? What is the problem? Because, you know, there were some tweets online that had some videos of Justin Fields from his rookie year. And I want that guy back. Rookie year, Justin Fields, the guy that would throw in the tight windows and not give a damn. Now, is that confidence? Is that someone in his ear telling him, yeah, go ahead, throw it. You're going to make mistakes. Don't worry about it. Or is it the weight of expectations to where now we gave you Chase Claypool? when now we gave you DJ Moore? What now we're giving you even more running backs with Roshan Johnson? Now you got to do something. Now again, we talked about his, his release. He has a slow release. So the offensive line has to block that much longer because he has a slow release. And none of that has improved. The footwork has gotten slightly better based off what I've watched through three weeks. The footwork is slightly better. But unfortunately, this, this, the one bugaboo with him has been footwork and arm delivery. The release is slow. And the feet were bad. The feet have improved. The, the sl- slow release is still there. And man's got punched against the Chiefs and only D.J. Moore, after realizing his QB got punched in the face and is probably feeling the after effects of that, was the only one to step out there and say and try to protect that young man. So the Bears are in disarray. The Bears are in disarray. It is a familiar feeling for me. I'm just so glad I don't have the fandom thing attached to it. But as someone that just understands the vision and understands what they were trying to do on paper. But when you still have ineptitude in the coaching and coordinator ranks and maybe even the GM ranks, it's kind of like, well, does it even matter? What does it matter? What does it matter that you lucked into the number one pick? Thanks, Lovie. What does it matter that you are able to get the Panthers to give up their best wide receiver in DJ Moore? What does it matter? Because you had already tricked it off by trading away Roquan Smith because you were playing cheap. You could have had Roquan Smith. Imagine the lanes that Roquan Smith, who you claimed couldn't run to those lanes because you didn't have any three techniques to eat up the blocks for him. Imagine if you had Jalen Carter there to eat up those blocks, what, imagine the lanes Roquan Smith would have on this defense. Maybe this defense wouldn't be so trash against the run. If you had Jalen Carter and Roquan Smith there, instead of spending $100 million on linebackers who aren't as good as Roquan Smith, and you still you went out there and drafted a couple of third-round defensive tackles who haven't even sniffed that much of the field yet. Meanwhile, Jalen Carter is out there running it back like it's Athens with the Eagles. And Roquan Smith is killing with the Ravens. And get the Bears are out here trying to, you know, re- reorganize or run that old thing back like it's Lovie Smith. And he's got Derrick Brooks, Warren, Snap, Warren Sapp, John Lynch, and Rondé Barber. The New York Jets are in real trouble. And it's because of one thing. Sala is a Zach Wilson apologist. Now, why? I have no idea. There was a reason why you went out there and signed and traded for and gave up what you gave up for Aaron Rodgers. There was a reason why you were flirting with Derek Carr. It's because you knew in that building that Zach Wilson was not it. There was a reason why you had Joe Flacco backing him up the last couple of years and Mike White and all these guys before that. There was a reason why, because you weren't quite sold on the former number two overall pick, Zach Wilson. So now with the roster, both offensively and defensively, except for one position that is built to win right now. You're still riding for Zach Wilson. What is wrong with Robert Sala that he doesn't understand that Zach Wilson ain't it? Now, you can tell me, well, I mean, what else he's supposed to do? He has to, like, cool. That was cool in the moment. It was cool that he had Zach Wilson's back once Aaron Rodgers fell down and went boom four plays into the season because of that awful turf and that also inferior offensive line. That's cool. But after that, you got to make moves. After that, you got to figure it out because you already know he's not it. Because if he was close to being it, you wouldn't have given up hellfire and brimstone to get Aaron Rodgers. And you wouldn't have been flirting with Derek Carr. So the bottom line is this, is that the Jets already know Zach Wilson is not it. Now, why Robert Sala is trying to tap dance and trying to act like Zach Wilson is it doesn't make sense because it's not just confusing to me, but it's confusing to his own goddamn locker room. As we have found out, you go ahead and tap in. Let's get the right window up here and then we'll tap in his own locker room is, quote, ready to implode over this issue. And this is courtesy of Rich Cimini, Four Letter Network. Covers the team, longtime Jets reporter. He said that the locker room is, quote, ready to implode. And the main reason for that is that Robert Sala has continued to pamper Zach Wilson publicly. The quote is, the thing is, he's coming off as a Zach apologist that doesn't play well in the locker room. The defense allows 13 points in the game on Sunday and they're hearing about the busted coverage on the touchdown. Some third down conversions that got away from them. 13 points. The defense gave up 13 points. Yet they're hearing about how they didn't do enough. How much do you have to do if you're that defense? How anemic is this offense with a new OC who's supposed to have some sort of wizardry cooked up? Because if you're telling me Nathaniel Hackett's offense only works when Aaron Rodgers is running it, then guess what? That doesn't mean Nathaniel Hackett should be an offensive coordinator at this level. Because if that's all it takes, you and me should be an OC for the Jets. Because we can think of anything that can make Aaron Rodgers make the system work. We can think up of a million plays that can make Aaron Rodgers make it look good. But the fact of the matter is, if you're telling me Nathaniel Hackett's offense only works best when Aaron Rodgers Rodgers is running it, then that's a problem from Jump. He should not have been hired in the first place. I understand that's his man's. But you can't convince me that this man's qualifications as a NFL OC only registers when arguably the best quarterback of this generation is running it. If that's all it takes, then Both of us, you and I, listening and watching, can do that job. But yet, this is where we're at with the New York Jets, who have top-tier talent on both sides of the ball. And yet, they're back to being the laughable, same-old Jets because of the one position that matters in the whole damn sport, and they can't get it right, and they haven't gotten it right for 50 years. There are Jet fans that have lived their whole life and have never felt confident about the quarterback positions. They've had spells with Favre. They've had spells with Chad Pennington. They've had spells with Ken O'Brien and Vinny Testaverdi. But that's the list. That's it. And the one time they had a guy that was worth a damn, he falls down and goes boom because your owner, along with the Giants owner, who was too cheap to put in real grass, and Joe Douglas, who gets props for drafting Garrett Wilson and Saul's Gardner, but also is still running Makai Beckton out there at tackle. If I was on that defense, I'd be furious as well. If I was Quentin Williams, I would be furious as well. 13 points, and you're trying to break down the defense's mistakes no no let's go to these offensive stats points for 30 second out of 30 second 30 second out of 30 second and again if we're talking about Nathaniel Hackett we're not even going to discuss the 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 abomination that he was with with the Broncos as the head coach and how Russell Wilson looked a shell of his former self. And even though they got blown out and gave up a 70-piece, Russell Wilson has looked significantly better just by not being around the Thangle Hackett. The Jets are 32nd in points scored. They are 32nd in yards. They are bottom half of the league in anything that's significant offensively. They are 30th in pass attempts, 32nd dead last in passing yards, and even the run game with Brees Hall back and presumably healthy with Dalvin Cook back in the fold. They are bottom half of the league in all things rushing. So what are you telling me? Is it really Aaron Rodgers in this injury or is it the entire damn offense? Is it the scheme? The offensive line was a concern, but not to this level. Brees Hall was able to get through holes last year. Pause. Garrett Wilson was able to put up big numbers last year. Neither one looked to be able to do any damn thing this year. So to me, that goes to the coordinators. That goes to coaching. So while Robert Sala wants to be a Zach Wilson apologist, the real thing is, is that your man's Aaron Rodgers had to have his guy outside of Randall Cobb, outside of Alan Lazard. He had to have his guy, Nathaniel Hackett. Now he's got his guy, in Nathaniel Hackett, and four plays, and he falls down and goes, boom. Now the Jets are stuck with Aaron Rodgers' guy and no Aaron Rodgers'. And there's been nothing schematically from watching this team three weeks in that makes me think you should hang on to Nathaniel Hackett, that you should hang on to Aaron Rodgers' guy. But yet the Jets are scared because if they go make a trade for someone that's competent, now Aaron Rodgers has to come back, assuming he comes back and he said all the right things. He's popping up on McAfee every week. So he's saying all the right things that he's coming back. So now Aaron Rodgers can't have no competition next year. Assuming there's a next year. And there's going to be a next year for Aaron Rodgers because you you pushed all your bread back to the second year. So there has to be a second year for Aaron Rodgers to get that bread. But if you're the Jets, are you willing to run this all back again next year? Not only is he 40 plus, he's 40 plus off of an Achilles 40 plus off an of ACL, 40 plus off, of, off an Achilles, 40 plus off of a debilitating season, engine, season ending injury. That's what you want to run it back with? It's all bad with the Jets. It's all bad with the Jets. And I feel bad for that defense. You're looking at a defense that's given up 13 points, you know, it is out here playing their asses off. And because the offense is anemic and the whole world knows it. They're expecting now to shut people out every week for them to have a chance. Or they need miracles like, you know, the the Gibson return against Buffalo. They need that every week for them to have a chance. There's tension in the locker room because Zach Wilson is still starting. Now, they just went out there and signed Trevor Simeon. I mean, would it be my choice? Colin Kaepernick is is using (laughs) J. Cole to try to get his thoughts out there. He wants to be on the practice squad. None of that really matters to me. The fact of the matter is, is that the New York Jets have tricked off this season because they didn't have a competent backup because they were too afraid to admit that they got it wrong in Zach Wilson. There's nothing wrong with admitting you got it wrong. There's nothing wrong with admitting you got it wrong. The Arizona Cardinals realized real quick, one year, Josh Rosen, nope, we got it wrong. The 49ers, after all that they gave up, realized after a couple of years, Trey Lance, we got it wrong. The New York Jets, for some reason, are stubborn to the fact that after a few years, it's clear to everyone in the league, it's clear to Jet Legends, it's clear to you and I, that Zach Wilson, they got it wrong. But they don't want to admit it. And that's why they're the same old Jets. Choose your sides. Are you with Dion or are you against Dion? That's kind of where this whole thing with Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, the Colorado Buffaloes, all of that, that's kind of where things have fallen down to. Because if you're riding with Prime, you're just all about it. You love to see a black man get paid. You love to see a loud, braggadocious black man win and win at, at a at a big level. And if you're anti-Deion, you're thought to be a coon or mago or something to that effect. And I think that's just very weird because there are people that are riding with Dion, I think, for very weird reasons. If you just want to ride for Dion because he's black and you want to see a black coach dominate D1 in a loud, braggadocious way, I guess that's fine, Right. The problem is, is that Dion, yes, is a black coach. Dion, yes, represents a a certain sect of, of blackness that is not viewed upon as righteous by the wider society. Right. We could get into all of that. The fact of the matter is, in my opinion, is that Dion is a celebrity coach first and he's black second. And I think the problem is, is that fans are cheering for him because he's black first and as a celebrity second. And I think that's where the, the juxtaposition is, is of people that, like myself, are just saying, hey, look, I'm not anti-Deon. I'm not sitting here saying Deon should have stayed at Jackson State, that he shouldn't sure have took the bread that was offered to him. What I'm saying is that, one, let's not act like Deon's about the culture. Deon is about the culture when it benefits him. That's a hard fact. Hard stop. Like, there's no way you could push back against that. He went to a HBCU because he wanted to run shit. He could have had, he did have opportunities at other universities, but just not as a head coach. The only school that was willing to give him autonomy and give him the power and the recognition that he was looking for was at HBCU, Jackson State University. So he was given the opportunity that not too many others would have been given if they weren't named Deion Sanders. And he was able to walk in there and command autonomy to get a piece of the back end in regards to ticket sales, in regards to promotional opportunities. He was allowed things that coaches at big time Power 5 D1 schools will be able to get. He was allowed to get that at an HBCU level because of what? His celebrity. All of this comes back to Dion is a celebrity first and a black head coach second. Now, that may be damning, that may be problematic, but to me, the more that this Colorado State thing rolls along, to me, it just screams more and more. Not only is Dion a celebrity coach, but he's just like coaches that don't look like me or Dion at PWIs, predominantly white institutions, because He's doing the same song and dance that Dabo Sweeney is doing. Dabo Sweeney weaponizes Jesus and racist stereotypes to procure recruits. Deion Sanders from saying that God told him to go to Jackson State to also going on you know, national publications and platforms is saying that he's looking for the, the kid with the single mama who's on free lunch. He is weaponizing Jesus and racist stereotypes to build his base and to procure recruits same thing dabble swinney Dion. same thing so while everyone is pushing for Dion because he's a black man and like you know j cole said we all love to see a black man get paid it's more than that when it comes to Dion because he's a celebrity first Once you take away the celebrity piece, then you have Deion Sanders, the black man. Deion Sanders, the the black father who wants to make sure that his son, Shador, is allowed to play quarterback at the highest levels. Because we know that historically that has been a hindrance where black athletes have been turned away or steered away or coerced away from being quarterbacks at lower levels. Dion wanted to make sure that his son was not steered away in any kind of way and was able to flourish and build himself to now to where he is a burgeoning, you know, fledgling Heisman candidate. All of that is great. All of that is to be applauded. The issue is that when we're hyping things up to be more than what they are, just because the person that's doing it looks like you, that's where, to me, that's where the problem is, because... Dion has showed you nothing that showed you he puts the culture first. He went to Jackson State and told us that he was there to restore the glory of HBCUs, not just Jackson State, but of all of HBCUs. And after 3 years and really good success and bringing attention to Jackson State and then because of that the trickle down effect to other HBCUs in 3 years he felt he had did his job. In three years, he felt I had done enough. And when a PWI came calling with the bag, he was on the first thing smoking out there to Boulder. I went out there to Boulder with no bread guaranteed because they didn't even have the bread. So while you were complaining ad nauseum to anyone with a microphone that the HBCUs in Jackson State specifically didn't have the funds to help you build what you're trying to build you went to a PWI that told you to your face. Yep, yeah, dog, we don't got it, but we going to get it. And yes, they ultimately did get it and they paid Let's see, Let me pull up the screen here. Make sure we get the numbers right. Cause I know how people are when it comes to Dion. They'll try to nitpick. You can have the most correct point in the world, but if you get one little thing, little one minute detail off, they try to, you know, throw out your whole point. So as you see it here, He was able to get a $5 million war chest to hire his coaching staff at Colorado. And then that goes along with, I believe the 29 million, let me make sure. Where is it at? Yep. The five year, 29 and a half million dollar deal. Okay. And he was only getting 1.4 million total over four years at Jackson state. So obviously a humongous bump for not only his salary, but for the staff that he was hoping to bring over in regards to having $5 million to play with to make sure that his staff comes along and he can make any additions as needed. Ultimately, what it comes down to for me is that this is nothing more than a house flip. Deion Sanders is in real estate and he was able to flip a foreclosure in Jackson, Mississippi for a big vacant mansion that just needed to be touched up and clean up, you know, some of the some of the landscaping and all that stuff in Boulder. The infrastructure in Boulder was already there. Jackson State was a full gut job. So Dion was able to flip a foreclosure in Jackson State, build it up, put all the marble on the inside, make sure the kitchen and the bathroom is nice, because those are the two things most people pay attention to, et cetera, et cetera. And he flipped that house. He's able to get that bag to buy the next crib and the next crib just happens to be a vacant mansion that's been sitting dormant out there in boulder and the bank gave him way more money to fix that up than what the bank gave him on that first loan the first loan was only you know 1.4 mil and he's able to clean that up it took him three years now he's flipping the next house but because the first loan was successful and it was paid off now he was able to go and get a second loan And now he's got $29.5 million to work to go clean that one up. And it's already a big, vacant mansion. That's what this is. This is house flipping. This is not Dion being for the culture. This is not prime looking out. This is not any of that. Because if he was really looking out, he would have stayed where he was. But we all knew he was never going to stay where he was. Even Jackson State knew he was not going to stay where he was. But he still went out there and told you what? God told me to come here. No, I have other quotes. Hang on. We, we, we got other quotes here. Let's see. Where's where's the other quote? I am happy where I am. This is when he had all the shows, just like he has all the you know, college pregame shows running the boulder. He had them running in Jackson, Mississippi. And, and this is what he told him. I'm happy where I am. It's a calling where I am. God didn't give me a timetable and say, you, you got to be there for that long. God told me to go do that. Do what I ask you to do and do it at a high level. So, Manns has been weaponizing this to try to sell to not to Jackson State because Jackson State knew what time it was. But to sell publicly, optically, that I'm not here just for the quick come up. But what happened it was proven that he was there for the quick come up. And while you can give me the the backlash of, yo, you should want to see a black man do well, and that's great. But again, I keep telling you, Dion is a black man second. Dion is a celebrity first. Always has, always will be. That's why he created a whole thing of primetime and neon Dion in the first place. Because as a DB coming out of Florida State, DBs weren't making no money. And Dion wanted money. He felt he was nice enough to where he should be paid like others, high stars coming out of college into the NFL. So what did he do? He created a whole persona to make himself larger than life. He made himself into a celebrity. And he's been leveraging that instinct his whole life, his whole adult life. And it's worked That's the thing. Because it's worked, people believe it and they believe that anybody could do that. Everyone cannot do that. Not everyone is as talented, is as smart, as hardworking, as, as have been, has been able to sacrifice what it takes to have that type of acumen and physical skill set and to make that whole thing work. You know how hard it is to play baseball? You know how hard it is to play baseball and be good at it? You know how hard it is to play baseball and be good at it and then go be a DB? There's no questioning his physical acumen and his mental acumen on top of that. The question here is, are you hyping up Prime because he's black or are you hyping him up because you believe in what he's doing? And if it's the second thing where you believe in what he's doing, I'm here to tell you he's doing nothing that PWI coaches haven't done historically. He goes into impoverished black neighborhoods and he weaponizes Jesus and racist stereotypes to procure top tier talent for his own individual benefit. Prove to me that I'm wrong. He told Jackson State, God told me to come here. Then the first chance he got when he was offered a big enough bag, God also told him to leave. Now Jackson State has a white woman as their kicker. So when you tell me, because you know, people like Shannon Sharp were, were caping, and man's uncle was caping for Dion, saying, you know, well, you know, now he left the blueprint. What's the blueprint? The blueprint is not, oh, a black coach can turn things around at HBCU. The blueprint is a celebrity coach can turn things around at an HBCU. And you saw what happened when Ed Reed tried to do it. The problem is Ed Reed didn't try to do it the Dion way. Ed Reed tried to do it his way. And he was talking a little bit too tough. He didn't have the levity like prom to go in there and talk that God shit, talk that you know racist stereotype shit to, to get people going. He didn't have the sermon type thing. He wasn't back at the U. This wasn't halftime talking about how much pain you're in and how hard you're working. You can't get that off. Ed Reed talked too tough, and it cost him an opportunity at Bethune-Cookman. Eddie George has been coaching in the SWAC for how long? Now, he's a celebrity, but he's not Deion's celebrity. And that's why, Deion, you can't say that Deion Sanders is the blueprint. You have to be that big of a personality To supersede all the faults and all the things that he's lacking, you have to be of that level. And it's not too many football players that are on that level to be able to get that off. So while you got people like Unk telling us that that's the blueprint now, the blueprint to me is also just go get another celebrity head coach. Because if this was a normal black coach, a regular, standard black coach, that coach cannot win multiple swag titles and then flip. And go get a D1 at a high-level thing and just be given a bag and then be given the bag on top of that to go get the staffing right. That wouldn't have happened. It's anomalies when it has happened. That's not the standard. But when you when you're a celebrity and you're it, you can jump the line, skip the line. That matters. Dabble Swinney was a no-name. Jimbo Fisher was a no-name. They built themselves into being a celebrity. Now they're celebrities. Now they're synonymous with their schools in and the, and the universities and just their name. Dion walked in as I'm coach prime. It's not the same. He's a celebrity coach first and a black coach second. So I think while everyone is rushing just to see a black man get on and, and a black man have a legitimate shot and potentially a black man could win a national championship, which still to this day has not happened. So people want to see it. People that look like me want to see it. The problem is, is that the one that has the best chance is a celebrity. And while some might not care, it just as long as it gets done, I don't care how it's done. Cool. But just be clear what you're supporting, what you're repping. Because he's going to learn. The Louis luggage line was cool and he got that off. But I'll say it again, if he would have took the roster that was one in 11 last year, the roster at Colorado that won one game, and took that roster and beat TCU and beat Colorado State, even though sidebar, they were a 24-point favorite, and they only won by one. And this is with the Louis Luggage. and they had negative 40 rushing yards at halftime, and that's with the Louis luggage. But if he would have took the roster that had all of one win last year and took them into TCU and got the dub and beat Colorado State at home. Then you could have sold me on. Oh, no, he's a coach. He might really be a coach first and a celeb second. But no, all he did was just clean out the trash. It was like a gut job, just like the gut job at Jackson State was more of a a foundational one. He had to gut the insides at Colorado. He had to get a whole new crew, a whole new landscaping crew. So Prime is out here changing stuff up. Transfer portal, NIL deals. He's able to leverage all of that to get 50 new players. And everyone's going crazy. 50 new players and they're playing well. Well, that's what college football is. NIL in combination with the transfer portal has allowed it so that players sooner rather than later can just leave and be out and not be penalized and get a chance to win and play. More more importantly, play than win, but play sooner than later. While a kid might be redshirted for a couple of years, that kid could just peace out. Like, no, 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 I'm out. You're going to redshirt me? I'm out. Transfer portal. And not get penalized for it, most importantly. So while... Prime is getting credit for this turnover. He's just bringing in a bunch of other squads, other schools, three, four, and even the occasional five-star recruits. So yeah, that roster better be nice. That team better be nice. Go do it with the one and 11 squad from last year. But you're not because you want that Louis luggage. Here's the problem with Louis luggage. Louis luggage is really just top-tier skill position players. He needs a couple of dudes with duffel bags, a couple of dudes with knapsacks, because that's them boys in the trenches. And that's where prime is lacking. And it's similar to how, you know, he, he, he did not want me to mention this, but my cousin Corey used to hit me up all the time and tell me about his high school team and how nice they were to running the spread offense and this, down and the third. And to me, it was cool. But I always ask, well, what's up with the trenches, though? What's up with the O-line, the D-line? He's like, well, we're light. I'm like, oh, well, then you don't stand a chance because that spread is cute. Once you go, go up against a squad that can, you know, bust you in the mouth a few times, it's a wrap. And we used to have these debates. And then he eventually convinced me to come out there to a game down there in South Jersey. And sure enough, they got trucked in front of my very eyes. They got manhandled. And not even manhandled, they got, you know, uh, 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 oversized adolescent handled. It was embarrassing. I formation right up the gut, halfback dive right up the gut while they're running around here running four or five wide and still can't get no more than two, three yards in attempt. It was embarrassing. And that's what I tried to like cement to him is that if you can't win in the trenches, all that cute spread shit don't matter. All that cute spread shit don't matter. If you don't got the horses up front on the O line and the D line. I don't care how cute your offense is. We literally have seen it at the highest level. With the Chiefs a couple of years ago, they had Mahomes running around here, parallel to the ground, trying to throw footballs in a Super Bowl. It wasn't enough. And they did what? They went and enhanced the O-line and then they ran it back and won the damn thing. So if it matters at the highest level, it should matter at the lowest levels. You can spread to death. You can do three wide, four wide. You can do, you know, uh, empty sets. You can do all that cute shit. Up-tempo, you can do all that cute shit. If you don't have no duffel bags or knapsacks up front, it don't matter. It don't matter. And prom is learning. That Louis luggage is cute until Travis Hunter gets concussed. You know what I'm saying? Until some dude targets Travis Hunter, that Louis luggage is is cute. Looks good on the runway. I'll tell you what I used to do when I was at Delta. We used to fling them bags just like any other bag. You had a really expensive bag. You think I would pick your bag up with the nicest of care and gently place it in the belly of the plane? Hell no. I would fling that bag just like anything else. Gucci, Louis luggage, like literal Louis luggage, Gucci luggage, all the fancy Tomy bags and all that. Psh, throw that shit right up against the wall. Just like all these, you know, book bags and everything else. Just like anything else. Didn't matter. So that's what Prom's going to learn. That Louis luggage is cute until you run up with a team that has Louis luggage and the dudes with the duffel bags and the knapsacks. So Prom is out here and that's your man's, right? Let me, let me see if I got anything else loaded up. That I wanted to share with y'all. Uh, yeah. I just have a question. What, what would the roster look like once your door leaves? What's that roster going to look like once Shador leaves? That, that's the thing I'm, I'm interested in, but you know we'll, we'll tackle that another day. But the whole thing with Dion and Prime, look, I, I'm glad it's a story because to be quite honest, for me, watching college football is all about trying to figure out who's going to be nice in the league. So this is a college story that remains at the college level. And I'm here for it, but I will tell you this. Watching the, the weekly thing of you have to be on one side if you're pro-Deon and the other side if you're anti-Deon, it's just all very weird. All very, very weird. Again, I'm not anti. I'm just certainly not pro because to me, he's doing the same thing that we used to kill white coaches for doing. We used to you know, be angry at the way that these white coaches would weaponize uh, Jesus and, and, and talk about us in a way that was demeaning and your man's coach prime is doing the exact same thing and he's being lauded for it i just don't understand it but to each his own you know what it is i appreciate y'all for listening man it's been a minute it's been a minute so i know it's, it's been a while since i've done a pod but uh i appreciate y'all for tapping in Look, uh, there's been a lot of things happening. Life has been lifing. All good things, so no no concerns there, but just been a lot of hectic stuff going on. Uh, I'll be able to talk about some of that stuff soon, but I can't disclose everything right now. Uh, But thank you for always being here, uh, subscribing, and making sure you tap in. People have been asking, you know, when's the pod coming? I'm I'm, I'm back now, so things have kind of slowed down. Things have kind of resolved itself, so we're good now. So you will be getting pods on a regular basis. You actually will be getting another episode Of this podcast, uh, hopefully by the weekend It'll be an all sports media podcast My thoughts and opinions on all the things That's been happening in sports media when it comes to These debate shows, the documentaries Movies, all of that I got a lot of thoughts I'm going to get off So I'm going to dedicate a whole episode just towards that Uh, So Like like I said, I'm back, so don't worry about it You're going to be getting pods, uh, video And audio versions, so You're all good there, so no matter where you're at Whether it's YouTube or if you're on You know, the podcast side, on the audio side, all good. Stay tapped in, stay locked in. I'm back. So uh, I appreciate y'all as always. It's been a hell of a ride. We're going to keep going. Love the YouTube love that that, that I've been getting. Love that I'm building a platform over there as well. But um, yeah, I know this is the the bread and butter with with the audio shit. So you're going to keep all that going, and I'll see y'all and hear it from y'all very soon. Peace.